Welcome back to Sustainably Influenced. I'm your host, Bianca Foley. In this season, we're discussing the relationship between the tech space and sustainability. Technology has the power to revolutionize the way we live and do things. And this has never been more important than in the current climate crisis. In recent years, the world has faced increasing challenges related to global warming, loss of biodiversity and resource depletion. However, technology has the potential to provide solutions and mitigate the impact of these problems. Advances in areas such as renewable energy, energy efficiency, sustainable transportation and smart cities can help us to transition to a more sustainable future. As businesses set ever more ambitious environmental, social and governance goals, their sustainability and technology strategies need to become more tightly aligned. Over the course of this season, I'll be diving into these strategies, speaking to disruptors and free thinkers in the industry who are using technology-based solutions to combat the climate crisis. This season has been completely new territory for me, so... If you've made it to episode five, thanks. Um, I love technology and I try to get the latest gadget whenever I can. But I also didn't know a lot about this sector until more recently. I've been quite lucky that I'm working with the gadget show still and working as a contributor for them. So it's opened up my eyes to a lot more of the kind of home-based solutions that are out there. But when it comes to talking about the tech and innovation-led or like technology-led solutions that are out there when it comes to production. I'm not really privy to that information. So in doing a season like this, it's really opened up my eyes a hell of a lot. One area in particular that is completely new territory for me is the space that we're discussing today. Now, we're going to be talking about clean technology, which is also known as green tech, refers to a broad range of products, services and processes that minimise negative environmental impacts while promoting sustainability. Clean tech encompasses a wide range of areas, including renewable energy, energy efficiency, green transportation, sustainable agriculture, waste management, recycling, water conservation, among others. That was a really long extensive list, but there's a lot more. I really don't want to downplay the importance of clean tech. And I don't think it should because the role that it plays in addressing some of the world's most pressing environmental challenges, for example, climate change, deforestation, water scarcity and air pollution, just really can't be overstated. Like, it's so integral to changing these issues or making a change for these issues. So in my research for this episode, I've come to learn that one of the biggest reasons that clean tech is so important is that it helps to reduce the impacts of climate change. The burning of fossil fuels, such as coal, oil, natural gas for energy, is the main driver of greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. Clean tech, on the other hand, provides renewable and sustainable energy alternatives that produce far less carbon dioxide than other greenhouse gases. For example, let's talk about solar, wind, hydropower, which are all renewable energy sources that generate electricity without the need for those fossil fuels. The use of clean energy not only helps to reduce these greenhouse gases, but also provides a more stable and reliable source of energy compared to fossil fuels, which are becoming increasingly scarce as well as expensive. Another aspect worth talking about is that it helps to conserve the world's limited natural resources. The extraction and processing of fossil fuels, for example, have severe impacts on the environment and natural ecosystems. 
the use of clean tech has really helped to reduce the amount of energy and resources required to produce goods and services, which can really help to conserve these resources for future generations because that, that's what it's all about. I mean, we can't completely deplete everything in such a short space of time in the span of like two to three generations. For example, the use of energy efficient products and processes can significantly reduce the amount of energy required to power homes, businesses, industrial facilities. The list is endless. And similarly, the use of clean transportation, such as electric vehicles, can really help to reduce the amount of fossil fuels required to power transportation, which is a real major contributor to these greenhouse emissions. An area that I possibly I wouldn't have even thought about, but I feel like I'm aware of, but it may not have been at the forefront of my mind, so maybe it's not the forefront of yours, is how this clean tech is actually helping to promote environmental and human health. I think we all know when you live in a city, there's pollution, there's a lot more pollution in the city. And like we can all think back to lockdown and how we saw how dramatically that pollution decreased in the cities where people weren't traveling. And the burning of these fossil fuels and the use of toxic chemicals in various industries can cause really, really serious health problems for people and wildlife, including respiratory, heart problems, birth defects and cancers. Clean tech, on the other hand, provides safer and healthier alternatives that minimize and eliminate these negative impacts. The use of renewable energy and energy efficient products can reduce the amount of air pollution, which is a huge, major, ridiculous contributor to poor health and environmental degradation. Similarly, the use of more sustainable agriculture practices and waste management techniques can actually help to reduce the amount of toxic chemicals and waste that leach into the environment and harm human and animal health. In addition to environmental benefits, clean technology also has really significant economic benefits. The growth of clean tech industries creates new jobs and drives economic growth. So I think it's the same for anything. So where traditional factories and like industry started to decline, these new modern ways of practice actually helped the economy. And I think you have to think everything is cyclical and it comes around and around again and again. So when you think about it, the renewable energy industry is creating new jobs in manufacturing, installation, maintenance and other areas, providing new economic opportunities for people literally all over the planet. In addition, the use of clean tech has also helped to reduce the costs associated with energy production and use, which can lead to lower energy bills and increased competitiveness for businesses and consumers. And given the current climate and the current state of affairs, especially in the UK, lower energy bills are what we're all after. Finally, it's really important in terms of national security and geopolitical stability, which, again, I would have never thought about. The dependence on oil leaves so many countries really vulnerable to price spikes, supply disruptions and geopolitical conflict. So think about how we've been affected by the war in Ukraine. Clean tech can provide way more stable and secure energy sources that aren't subject to these risks. The growth of this industry can help to reduce the dependence on foreign oil and increase energy independence, which can also improve national security and reduce the risks of geopolitical conflict. One area where clean tech is being used to better our way of life is in the transport space, as I mentioned before. And I really wanted to kind of dive into that a bit more because it's probably, I live in London and it's a huge city, probably one of the most polluted in the world. And we may not think about it and we look around and we think, oh, it's gorgeous out and what a lovely day. But I walked up to the studio this morning and I looked out and it was a really lovely sunny morning. And there's like a weird haze in the sky. 
and you look and you can see that thin layer of smog above the city. And I know it's nowhere can nowhere near what it was years ago, but it's still there. And there needs to be technologies that come in to mitigate that. So I want to talk about something called tyre wear. Now, I'll be honest with you, up until I met with uh, today's guest, I probably didn't know that much about tyre wear. And it's not something that I would have thought about. Even though we talk about things like microplastics, but in terms of clothes, I didn't think about things like microplastic in terms of transport and tyre waste. So tyre wear is the gradual loss of material from the surface of a tyre as it rolls over the road. Tyre wear is a natural occurrence and is caused by various factors, including the type of tyre, your driving conditions, road surfaces, vehicle usage. Over time, this wear can reduce the effectiveness and safety of the tyre, which is why it's important to regularly check and replace your tyres when necessary. However, it can also have really, really negative impacts on the environment. And that's what I kind of want to talk about today. The tiny particles of rubber that are worn off from these tyres can enter the environment and cause harm. Ordinarily, when we hear the word microplastics, as I mentioned before, we think microplastics in clothing that shed and go into the water system. But these little bits of tyre wear that are eroding are also referred to as microplastics. And they can be really harmful to wildlife and different ecosystems. As I said, when it enters into the water, they can be ingested by fish and marine life and move up the food chain, potentially affecting human health. Another way to kind of describe them is as particulate matter, the particles that come away from the tyre. It can really contribute to air pollution. So the particles of rubber that are worn off the tyres can become airborne and enter the atmosphere where they can contribute to fine particulate matter pollution, otherwise known as PM. So this PM pollution is a major, major health concern as it can cause a number of respiratory and heart problems, birth defects and even cancer. I'm not going to lie, this episode was a lot when I was researching it, but at the same time, I think it's a really eye-opening one. So this particulate matter enters the air we breathe, our waterways and the food we eat. Recently, it's been found in Greenland's ice caps dating back 50 years. Wow. It's the second largest microplastic pollutant in our oceans. These particles, which are under five millimetres, leach toxins into the environment, which has been linked to the mass reduction of salmon on the US West Coast. Another point to mention is that tyre wear can contribute to soil contamination. When tyres are worn down, the particles of rubber can enter the soil where they leach harmful chemicals into the ground and potentially harm animals and human health. One company working on a solution is the Tyre Collective, which is a clean tech company founded in 2020 by Hansen, Hugo and Siobhan with a vision to reduce their impact on the environment. So what began sort of as their master's project at Imperial College London and the Royal College of Art now brings people across disciplines and industries together to tackle the complex problem of tyre wear. Let's hear from Hugo. Hugo, thank you so much for joining me. So this is a really interesting episode for me because I don't know a lot about clean technology and in doing my research, I felt like I've learned so much and that's why when I was kind of told about what it is that you're doing, I really wanted to speak to you. So just for the sake of my audience, could you tell us a little bit more about the Tire Collective and what it is that you do? Certainly. So yeah, thank you for having me on today. So I am co-founder and CTO at the Tire Collective, where we are developing technology to capture and reuse tire microplastic pollution. And I mean, you're probably like us in that when we first came across this, we'd never heard of 
tire microplastic pollution. You know, you, you see tires everywhere, but no one actually really stops to think past that point. Everyone knows their tires are wearing down, but then where does that pollution actually end up? And that was the point at which we started the tire collective in that it was a university project and we were looking at waste and pollution in general and kind of stumbled across this problem and thought, why is there no one talking about this or doing anything to try and stop it? I find it so fantastic. And I think so many uni students or master's students have these incredible innovative ideas because they see the world in a completely different way to the older generations. And previously on the podcast, we've spoken about Gen Z and their relationship with sustainability and all these things. And the more conversations that I have with people of different age groups, you can really see the generational differences between people. So for me, I find it really, really fascinating to sort of, I can sit there and study people all day. I really should have been some sort of anthropologist. But <laughs> but um, I just want to know a little bit more about clean tech and the innovations that are happening, because I think there's so much out there that we could discuss. And this episode could probably be an hour and a half in itself if we allowed it. But in your opinion, how will clean technology innovations help to reduce air pollution and essentially improve not just the air quality, but our quality of life? I think we're becoming more and more aware as a society about air pollution as a whole. For example, I think it was in was it 2016 that there was the first recorded death that was attributed to air pollution here in London. And I think since then, it's very much been a kind of front and centre, not just greenhouse gases, which I'm sure we'll get onto later, but also articulate emissions as well. So to give you a bit more detail on that, what people often talk about are these uh, things called PM2.5 and PM10. And those are particles that range from 2 microns up to 10 microns. And they're the really nasty particles that are small enough that when you inhale them, kind of go directly into your lungs and in some cases pass through your lungs into your bloodstream. And that's what the World Health Organization has classified as being toxic at any kind of level. So it's these particles that we really shouldn't be exposed to, but actually we're exposed to all the time just by walking at the roadside or being in the tube. And it's everywhere and it's pretty insidious. So that's kind of where projects like ours come in. So we started looking at tyre microplastic pollutant. And we realised that these tyres are wearing down, but not only do they wash into the, you know, down the drains and then end up in your oceans, where it's been proven to be toxic to marine life and has caused the mass die-off of salmon and other sea life. But then also it's unusual compared to other microplastics in that it becomes airborne too. So, you know, every time you're behind a bus or next to a car or cycling through the streets, you're actually breathing in tyre wear. And as we go to more and more electric vehicles, tyres are actually going to be one of the largest pollution sources from vehicles as we get rid of tailpipe emissions too. And I think also like in terms of greenhouse gases as a whole, which is a much like broader topic, I think, you know, there's been a lot of focus on, well, especially from the investment side of things, about investing in things that target climate change, which I think from a personal note is something that we've struggled with in that not all green innovation is necessarily targeting climate change. So particulate emissions don't really fall within that. And that's why it's posed us a bit of a challenge. But that's why kind of in our day-to-day -day practices and from the device that we're trying to produce, it's important to be kind of net carbon zero or net carbon negative as a whole. And personally, we do that kind of two ways. That's one by 
the device itself is actually can improve the aerodynamics of a vehicle. So you can increase the range of the vehicle and therefore it's using less fuel and it has a higher mileage. And then the, the second main point that we do is the material that we then capture, we look to reuse into new things, so kind of seeing waste as a source of opportunity. And by that, you're reducing the need to use virgin feedstock. And actually, there's like a, a lot of interesting innovation in this space as a whole. I think as society, we're starting to rethink how we build, produce and consume things. So one part of this, I would say, is definitely prevalent now is the idea of local manufacture. So in the past, it was, you know, well, definitely in the last 20 to 50 years, it was being produced out at mass scale, really cheap in places like China and the Far East and then being shipped over here and being driven countless miles to get to your shop where then you'd pick it up and use the thing. But actually we're starting to adopt more local manufacture techniques. The idea you can have kind of local fab labs that could either be employing things like 3D printers or a local community of makers who can, are able to make these things. So it actually reduces the mileage from production to consumption, which I think is really interesting. And also then promotes practices like fixing and reusing things that you know might have become damaged in the course of you using them or have naturally reached like an end of their useful life and rather than those purely going to landfill it's then using the access to information that we have through the internet but also the access to hardware that you now can find locally to fix these things and give them new lease of life and all of that I know I was talking about uh, greenhouse gases but all of that comes back to the fact you're having to consume less and as a result producing less virgin feedstock, which produces less greenhouse gases. So yeah, I think that's pretty interesting from that side. Yeah, definitely. So as tyre plastic, like microplastics coming off of your tyres and how that impacts you as a person, how it impacts the environment, how it impacts different ecosystems. It's really thought provoking, I think. And that's partly why I wanted to do a season on tech and tech innovations Previous seasons have been a lot more fashion or beauty or maker focused. And for something like this, for me, tech is something that has my heart and I find innovation. And as I said in the beginning, like speaking to different generations, you see how everybody thinks differently. So seeing how innovation can be somebody in their 60s could have thought of the idea, but you think somebody in their 20s takes that idea and says, this is how we're going to adapt it to this generation and this way of life and the way that society is acting today and makes it so much better. And then it can have longer lasting implications for the next generation. It's just so wonderful. I'm so glad that you were speaking about the greenhouse gases as well. I mean, do you know of any other innovations in greenhouse gas reduction that are helping to mitigate the impacts of climate change at all? Yeah, so I suppose there's some like direct and indirect ones. So kind of building on that theme of reusing waste, which then the secondary impact is then reducing greenhouse gases. We were actually part of a really interesting exhibition at the Design Museum last year called Waste Age, which was traditionally, I suppose, when we've spoken about the environment, it's always quite doom and gloom and saying how, you know, we're destroying the environment around us. But actually this proposed it in a very interesting way that's saying, yes, it's not great, we're not treating the world very well. But actually through this, there's a sense of like hope and opportunity that we can start rethinking the practices around us and using these different sources, which have otherwise been seen as waste, as a source of opportunity. 
So one interesting example of that is our friends who went to the RCA with us started a company called Shellworks. So they were initially making a polymer out of discarded food waste, specifically kind of crustacean shells. But they've then gone down this journey of making eco-friendly packaging that's completely circular that is made from some kind of enzyme and then can be broken down within a matter of weeks and like your compost. So those are like examples of how you can reduce greenhouse gases through the materials you use. But they're also like really interesting projects. There's another uh, company that we know called Zelp. So they focus on like the meat industry and how cows and livestock produce a huge amount of methane. And methane is especially bad compared to like CO2 in that I don't know the exact science of it, but when it reaches the atmosphere, it has like a four times greater warming effect than CO2. So what he came up with initially was the idea that you could capture this methane that cows produce and use it as like a fuel. And he's now gone down this journey of making this kind of wearable for cows that captures their burps. I hadn't realised a lot of methane comes through cow burps rather than the other way, obviously. (laughs) They're little gas demons. They produce a lot. Gosh. It's a huge amount, but I, I suppose that comes down as well to the food industry as a whole. It's kind of like a, a patch rather than a solution. But there's definitely lots of interesting innovation around greenhouse gases. I think a big one that's quite on vogue at the moment is the idea of carbon capture and storage, that you can somehow strip the carbon out of the air and then save it or like store it in a thing that has more longevity. So you're trapping it inside a building that lasts for 100 years or something like that. But yeah, I think greenhouse gases as a whole is is quite a challenging one. In the end, it comes down to the way we consume and produce and rethinking the whole kind of network around it and really looking at the opulence that we've been used to over the last, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, especially in the West, of like being able to consume everything and waste a lot of it. I think it's going to require a rethinking of that as a whole. And technology definitely plays its part in that. 100%. I totally agree with you there. I want to move on a little bit and talk a bit more about energy, as you mentioned before. So how, in your opinion, will clean energy innovations provide more reliable and I guess sustainable sources of energy? And what will the impact of this have on energy security and affordability? Because I think affordability is a question that we're all, a topic that we're all talking about at the moment, living in a cost of living crisis. So how do you think that it will impact that. Sure. So I think green energy is definitely a complicated topic as well in that, well, in the automotive industry, for example, we've seen a real push from combustion engines and petrol engines to electric vehicles. But traditionally, until you have the infrastructure behind that, that's actually only moving the pollution from like the city to the power plant where they're just burning fossil fuels. So really, I think The fundamental way to get around this is by investing in things like solar, wind, wave technology, especially because it's an abundant form of energy that's all around us. And why can't we harvest that more efficiently and use it to our own benefit? And I think obviously, as well as we start investing more in this in terms of the research and making these technologies more efficient, that will automatically drive down the cost of adoption. So I think something like solar panels have come down in cost by like 100% in the, what, what, halved in the last decade or something like that. And these things start becoming exponential as more and more people adopt it. Suddenly it becomes a lot cheaper and more accessible. 
that was also the case with the case, sorry, with things like electric vehicles. The first ones that were ever made were super, super expensive. They were almost seen as this elitist product because they weren't affordable to the masses. And then as things become more mass produced and widely adopted, the cost will then start to come down because it's just the nature, unfortunately, of how manufacturer is, isn't it? It works the same in so many different industries, even when you think about it in terms of fashion, which is more my background, where if you're producing a couple of garments or you're somebody who's running a smaller run, it's going to be more expensive to produce than if they were doing 100,000 units. And the cost always comes down. I just find it find it a bit icky in all honesty. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you're not wrong. I mean, that's kind of like the whole capitalist model, isn't it? So that's why I think a lot of change is quite slow to be, to actually see real change before it's going to be implemented. But I think going back to renewables, I think them themselves kind of throw up this other problem in that the nature of renewables as a whole, they're quite transient in that it's not always windy, it's not always sunny. So what do you do in those low periods when obviously you don't stop using your Wi-Fi because it's not windy outside? So I think there's definitely a lot of innovation in that respect. And I think one of them is battery technology. So that's kind of like, you know, storing that energy in a battery and then pushing it out again. And like batteries have come a long way recently for sure, but they themselves are still very polluting in that, you know, you're mining for rare metals like cobalt out in places of the world where probably you're like destroying the environment to harvest them for our benefit here. So there's definitely new novel approaches to how you can then store this energy. So one of them is kind of more distributed methods of energy storage and generation. So the idea that you're no longer reliant on one massive grid to supply your energy, but you can take that more into your own hands. So could it be on a community or an individual scale? So the idea is you can like, or start with fitting your own solar panels or your own wind turbine. But then you can use things like your electric vehicle when you're not using it during the day to kind of like plug that in. And rather than charging your vehicle in order to drive with it, could you charge up your car battery to then provide that energy back to your house when the sun isn't shining? And it's ways of like rethinking the ways we use things that we already have. It doesn't require much innovation. It requires just a different way of thinking. I would have never, ever thought of that. And I think... That's part of the problem. <laughs> I think you need to have thinkers who do see every side of the box and look at the 70 sides of it and think that there's not always one or two ways of doing things. There's multiple ways of doing things and everything can be used for something else. Like look at the amount of pharmaceuticals that have been made for one thing to treat one thing. And then actually they've realized further down the line, oh, well, it actually helps this. So they start to use it in other ways. So I'd love to know what other innovations in transportation, like the Tire Collective, what is it that you're doing and other innovations that are there to improve safety and reduce the overall carbon footprint of everyday people? Yeah, so I think transportation as a whole is a very interesting one because it's an area that we're seeing changing like very rapidly. The, the things that you're probably seeing to be implemented now, which doesn't really change much in terms of the way we actually commute places, is you know the adoption of electric vehicles that like we spoke about before. It's kind of things like regenerative braking, so trying to like harness that energy as you're braking to recharge your batteries, or like making your vehicle lighter to get more fuel out of it. But those are the kind of things that have been happening in the background making small gains here and there. But I think 
the interesting things that start to emerge are the real radical ways that are challenging the way that we see mobility, especially in terms of kind of real, uh, I can't think of the exact right word, but it's essentially kind of like micro-mobility. So it's the idea, you know, you see electric scooters everywhere in London now, you see electric bikes everywhere. So the idea that you're no longer reliant on a massive vehicle or necessarily your own legs to pedal you somewhere, but you can still get some from A to B efficiently and quickly and not be sweaty and things like that. We're not just seeing it in the personal transport space, you're also now seeing it in delivery fleets. So traditionally, it's something crazy, like last mile delivery has accounted for something like 15% of all miles driven in the city. And that's always just like Amazon vans, DPD, DHL, just like driving constantly around the city. And we're now seeing them migrating to things like cargo bikes, small electric vehicles, which is really interesting because not only are they seeing a benefit from reducing the pollution they're producing, but also then more efficient on a in a modern city where actually a lot of roads are quite small, it's heavily congested, and there's like a lot of traffic. And actually, I read some stat earlier that they found that I think driving around London is 1.5 times faster to use a cargo bike than it was to use a van to make the same delivery, which I thought was kind of a mental stat. And bringing that back to us in many ways, so that's why we're targeting initially last mile delivery fleets. So they have kind of regular maintenance schedules. They are some of the biggest polluters in a city and they do account for a lot of the kind of pollution that's generated. So I think across Europe as a whole, not just delivery fleets, but like over a million tonnes of tyre wares produced annually, and that's just in Europe. And we've worked out that each van fitted with our device could capture around two kilos of rubber each year. And you just think about how many vans there are that drive around your city, how much waste that's producing, how much pollution that's producing, that we could potentially harvest and reuse for good rather than it becoming this pollutant that we breathe in. And part of that, we conducted our first pilot trial this year. So that was with a Hackney-based last mile delivery fleet called Zero. So they are entirely carbon neutral. So they have a fleet of I think it's now three electric vans and multiple cargo bikes. And they actually saw us presenting here in Somerset House and they reached out saying, oh, we think what you're doing is really interesting. Would you be up for kind of like working together? And we then went on this nice journey of us cycling down to Hackney and talking to them loads and realising we really aligned on our like values and what our vision was. So then we worked out how to fit our device to their vans and then we see them kind of like driving around outside Somerset House every couple of days. And it was actually really nice. That went went well so we were able to kind of validate our core technology so our device was able to capture tire wear as it's produced behind the vehicle and then we're sending that to the lab to then kind of analyze those samples to see how we can improve like the purity and the capture efficiency and, and things like that. Just jumping in here Hugo mentioned something called last mile delivery so I just wanted to provide a quick explanation as to what it actually means. In a product's journey, it's moved from the warehouse shelf to the back of a truck and then finally to a customer's doorstep. And the final step of this process is known as the last mile of delivery. Last mile delivery is actually the most expensive and time-consuming part of the shipping process and it's instrumental as it's key to the customer's overall satisfaction. We'll jump back into the conversation now. So then last mile delivery aside, I think another area that's interesting in terms of transportation and innovation is then what do you do between like the intercity 
delivery. So like large lorries that are constantly going backwards and forwards. You know, you saw during Brexit, the huge queues of like miles long of lorries just waiting there at Calais and at, at Dover. And you realise actually the whole of society is based on us being able to kind of drive things between A and B. And actually, it's, it's nothing new to be able to move real heavy vehicles across the country using electricity. I mean, we've had electric trains for the best part of 100 years. And actually, right now, there's a really interesting study going on in Germany where they've employed the same techniques, so using high-voltage electricity lines on highways. So a truck is able to switch from a petrol engine in like small, windy roads. And as soon as they get on the highway, they then employ this big kind of boom that's raised up and essentially turns it into like a tram that then uses electricity that's directly from the grid. And it's like small innovations like this are really interesting and exciting where it can take us. Hugo, thank you so much for such an incredible conversation. I could have spoken to Hugo for ages. Overall, I think it's safe to say that clean tech offers numerous benefits for both the environment and human society. By reducing the amount of harmful emissions, waste and pollution generated by various industries, clean tech can help to mitigate the negative impact of human activities on the environment and preserve natural resources for future generations. By investing in this tech and promoting more sustainable practices, we can not only protect the planet, but also build a more resilient and prosperous society. In next week's episode, we'll be discussing whether innovations in technology are able to advance eco-friendly farming. Until then, you can subscribe and listen back to previous episodes of Sustainably Influenced on all good podcast platforms. You can follow at Sustainably Influenced on Instagram and TikTok. I'm Bianca Foley. Thank you for listening. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller, research assistant Toyo Douglas, and presented by Bianca Foley.